Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today I'm joined by renowned pianist Gloria Chang, who is a champion of contemporary music. Her performances are known for their depth of emotional expression as well as her crisp precision. I had the honor to meet Gloria in 2016, shortly after the passing of Steve Stuckey, who was my uh, professor of composition, my mentor at Cornell, and Gloria's one of Gloria's closest friends and colleagues at the LA Philharmonic. So today, Gloria and I talk about how she stays connected to her students at UCLA during the pandemic, how she stays creative and connected to her artistic practice, as well as how she channeled her grief and processed the passing of Steve Stuckey through her album, Garlands. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Julia. Great to see you. <laughs> you too. How are you holding up through all this? It, it's, it's been, um, I've been healthy. Uh, most of the people I know have remained healthy. Yeah. Um, it's been, I did have a little scare, but it was not COVID, but mm -hmm. it was 11 days of wearing a mask in my own house until I could get um, my results, which took 11 days. So, so you had to quarantine yourself. I, we slept in separate rooms. We yeah. kept away from each other, wore a mask in, inside the house, uh, just stayed away from each other. By the time I got my results, I was already out of quarantine <laughs> because yeah. it, this, it slowed down so much. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm okay and I've managed to keep busy preparing for some concerts. I imagine there was a period right when the pandemic hit where, you know, we didn't know what, what was going on. Um, did you step away from practicing sort of how, how did you react kind of in the immediate aftermath? And also you were, you were teaching presumably as well, right? Yes. Um, there were six weeks or so where I couldn't do anything. I couldn't sit at the piano. I, I, I just didn't feel that I had the patience for it or the, the peace of mind really yeah my head was swirling with which app how many apps i needed to learn discarding 90 percent of them mm -hmm. uh, uh you know but spending two or three days with each of them before i realized that that one's not going to work let's try this one i will say though and and it and you were part of one of my comp forum classes um yeah. that that class in particular well both of my classes my chamber my contemporary chamber music class and the composition forum worked quite well surprisingly um the spirit was above all so congenial i mean the students and i we were we were equally just knocked off of our socks you know knocked off our rockers for the, by this yeah. we were all learning together we all were equalized there was just mm. no difference between them and me we all had to try to teach each other they taught me a lot um when I was yeah. having my Zoom, you know, now I'm, we're all experts at Zoom, but when my first week of class, I, you know, was having trouble and I had to learn from them. I just needed their help. So the spirit of just um, collegiality and, and helping each other to make it work, to get something out of this, however we needed to do it, was so, was just so, I don't know, 
warmed my heart so much. And I came to the end of the quarter kind of missing it and kind of feeling like, wow, I miss them. (laughs) I miss them all because we became so close, I felt. And there's something ironically very intimate, I find, about Zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mind it. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice to hear. Yeah, it's refreshing. I, I kind of like it. Um, we see inside each other's homes. We we're um, we're dressed casually. We're just there's nothing to put on. You know, there's just nothing separating us anymore. Yeah, right. strangely enough, you know. And I felt closer to my students this way than I did when I'm sitting in a classroom there. And 19, 19, nine, nine times out of ten, fifteen twenty feet away from them. In the case of chamber music, I'm sitting behind a music stand in a hall or a large classroom, I'm at least 20 feet away from them. And this time, this way we were just up close and of course dealing with it very differently, right. making music very differently, asynchronously, you know, recording one track over another, uh, one at a time. It's not collaborating in any, it, right. it's collaborating in a, in a very hands-off kind of way. But um, I think we, I think they got something useful out of it. I think we all learn skills that we don't regret learning. Mm-hmm. And um, they will have a much easier time editing their first CD. Um, if they want to make a movie, they know how. Right. Um, it's just, um, and hearing themselves back week after week, you know, um, the way we did the chamber music class was, okay, put together a, vid- a, a video or some, you know, get, get, get this first movement done or, and, um, Let's listen to it together. And we all listened to it together and talked through it. You know, you're a little out of tune here. This entrance is a little late. Uh, what's the balance here? We need a little more horn here. Uh, okay, make a new video for next week. That's what you work on. So they, just from hearing themselves back week after week, and if they're anything like me, anytime they record something, they do it 10 times before they actually let it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, because when I was recording tracks with them, I. I had to do it over and over and over again before I was happy. Right. So I have a feeling they did the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So is that, that's different than from your normal way of practicing because they're, they're actually hearing, they're listening as an audience member to themselves perform as opposed to maybe getting lost in the moment of performing for the class. Is that true? Yeah. Yes. Well, I make a practice of recording myself. um, Okay in the week before a performance when my ideas are pretty solidified and I'm, I'm on the on the home stretch, I, I, I wouldn't dream of going out on stage without having done so myself. We all learned so much from hearing ourselves back. Right. And if they had not been in the practice of doing that prior to this, uh, they are now. And I think they all might end up using that as a, as a preparation technique. That's really interesting. We'll we'll yeah. See. It's so revealing. We have no idea sometimes how we come off. And I know musicians who are who hate listening to themselves on recordings and some who can't even. For sure. For sure. And uh, I think most people who have ever made a recording and maybe you feel this way, too, about hearing a a composition back. um, I often just think, what was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what was I thinking back then to play it that way? I mean, it's a snapshot in time. It's what I. It's how right. I regarded the flow of notes at that point, and inevitably, 
inevitably my my ideas change yeah as time goes on so and what about your your composition students because you teach the composition forum as well right right it's not exactly teaching the composition forum i gather 10 composers one a week one per week for our 10 quarter our 10 week quarters um i think they felt really engaged um i know they enjoyed yours a lot because you got very personal about your process your working process and showing us the photos that you've got on your wall <laughs> behind you and all of that that was very useful for them um to see inside the studio of of a working highly successful composer and it was um they were fully engaged because you're, you're right there your face is right there and they couldn't look away um right. so I thought that worked at least as well as in person, if not better. And I've proposed to the chair that this class, that that class composition forum be remote permanently. Well, and you could bring in so many composers from around the world. Exactly. exactly. I don't have to wait. I've, in the past, I've always had to find out, okay, who's coming to the LA Phil? Is Steve Reich going to be in town this spring? Is, you know, is who's, who's coming from Iceland? And, and so who has right. a free afternoon? Uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Right. So it does open up so many more possibilities. So I'm hoping they'll allow that. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I think it, I, I did your, I visited, well, I virtually visited your UCLA class. It was, it was very soon into the pandemic. I think it's within early. the first month. Um, and I had just seen um, Esapekka Salonen on Alan Gilbert's Conductor's Roundtable conversation. Alan Gilbert asked Esapekka Salonen how writing was going and if he was sort of thriving in this solitary uh, environment. And he said, no, <laughs> you know, he said that it was, it was a very difficult time to be creative. And I remember um, when I heard him say that, I just felt this huge weight lift off of my shoulders and it was the same thing it was like getting to see him in his studio you know in Finland <laughs> um you know in in a more intimate environment and to for him to say no this is the world has changed I'm not writing as if I was on a writing retreat um it made me just able to sort of you're not my... alone yeah absolutely and so I, I had that in mind when I, when I talked to your students, because I feel like that's so important for especially young, young people to see kind of that this is affecting all of us. Yeah, uh, it's pretty existential. <laughs> um, I think most of us do have a little more time on our hands than we used to, though. Yeah. Um, and UCLA is going to be fully virtual in the fall as well. Okay. So we know how to do it now. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, aside from freshmen who are at this for the first time, um, you know, it should run a little more smoothly this time around. And I, I, um, I've been using the extra time to, to kind of fill in on all kinds of things that I never had time to do. Um, 
There are a lot of Netflix movies. We like music videos. Okay. And so we've watched the John and Yoko one called um, Something Across the Sky. Beautiful movie because I tend to live under a rock. I never really was hit to Frank Sinatra. So now, oh my God, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's a that, that was a, a real discovery. And um, some rock bands and, and things like that. Um, my husband, who's Greek born, knows much more about American pop music than I do. And I mean, I know the Grateful Dead and the, the Stones and the, the Creedence Clearwater Revival is one of my favorites, has always has been, and Allman Brothers. But so often something will come on and just say, really, you don't know that song either? <laughs> and I just said, no, I was practicing when. Right, right. Practicing all the time. So it's been fun. That part has been fun, mind expanding, things that I've always, always wanted to learn that I've missed out on. This right. is very arduous. It's very time consuming, e learning new pieces. Um, I got out in the very beginning, I got out my old Chopin etudes. You know, I think oh. all of us kind of turned to things that we, we worked on when we were younger or in years and years ago. And I mean, these things came back kind of, oh, I can still do these, even though I haven't touched them in decades. But new music is extremely steep. The learning curve is, is steep every time. So I went back to those and I, I felt that I needed to do something technical when I came out of my six weeks of being just incapacitated by this right. news and everything. So I felt I better start wiggling my fingers again. So what should I work on? So I got these off my shelf. It took about three weeks sitting here on my piano before I dared to open it and even start because uh, I was afraid what it would feel like, but they've come back and that's been nice. I'm not going to play them publicly or anything, but <laughs> just for fun and to get to, I, I needed to get my chops back. Yeah. Did you have to adjust your routine or your, your practice routine at all? Um, when I got back to it, um, it, it sort of fell into place because I do have these concerts to prepare. So I, right. the there's nothing like a deadline. What kind of concerts are you preparing for? Are they virtual? They're virtual. It's yeah. a very different way of preparing for a virtual concert. It's a different mindset in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, I am woodshedding more than normal. What does I'm that mean? Woodshedding meaning I am going for accuracy. I am I'm really trying to get things uh, because it's going to live on the internet forever and ever that uh, things that I might be able to let go in a in a live performance in the heat of the moment, I'd rather try to have you know um, have it be clean in the heat of the moment. So um, it's it's a different kind of more um, exacting way to try to prepare mm -hmm. for these things and just getting used to the idea that um, for a chamber music concert I'm wearing a mask on camera, right? Um, and all rehearsals were done in the hall. Um, okay. so that they don't come over to my house and things like that. It's just the whole thing has been very kind of one step removed from what it normally feels like. That, that concert is for a group called Pittance, which is um, made up of LA opera pit players. And so they're all first rate. Um, yeah. And we, they asked me to sort of come up with a bit of a program. 
-hmm. And we chose a piece by Steve Stuckey, Our Mutual Friend, and some other pieces around. uh, I'm going to do a few of the garlands, which you know well about, um, the solo garlands, to fill out the program because we had to cancel a woodwind trio by Ludoslavsky because it would have just produced too many aerosols for anybody's comfort. Oh, right. So these things have been very much in flux and we're all adjusting to the new paradigm. So are you playing with wind players or is it piano and strings? Okay. Yeah, I'll do a a duo with each of the three string, uh, sorry, three wind players. So how does that work logistically? Well, I wear a mask and they're exposed to no one but me. I'm exposed to all three of them, (laughs) one at a time. but we all felt that we wanted to get this out and off of our plates for one thing, but we all believed in this music so deeply that we just didn't want to, you know, cancel the whole thing. Um, And we've all been working on this repertoire since actually the fall. um, Oh, wow, okay. For an April concert. Um, It was quite a demanding concert pianistically. So I've been working on it since the fall. You've been spending a lot of time outside, just even, you you moved your keyboard and your whole rig outdoors, right? Yes, every morning, uh, Zach helps me bring the piano outside and I set up the monitor and everything and I, and I write in the morning um, because yeah, otherwise I just feel like I'm cooped up and um, it's just anything that sort of takes me out of the pandemic reality um, helps me just get creative and start writing again. So, mm-hmm. and it's really, it's actually nice. I mean, I'll probably continue it um, mm-hmm. post uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't, I can't do that very easily. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I don't mind being cooped up. Um, I've never minded being cooped up. Mm-hmm. So I can spend a whole day indoors and just go out for our walk in the early evening and, and I'm fine. <laughs> I guess you get used to that with a practice room uh, at conservatory. I mean, those things are tiny. I guess, yeah, we, we're all, yeah, any, any, most pianists and many other musicians are accustomed to spending time alone. So, and we have to. So um, it, it had, that part hasn't bothered me at all. I've yeah. been able to, once I got back on the bandwagon, I, sure. I focus. What was it like playing live music again? That's, um, it was a remarkable feeling. It felt so rare. It felt so special. Um, It felt like such a gift. It's like, wow, we used to do this all the time. And to have that be denied to us for, for so long and for the foreseeable future, I mean, after this, I don't know when I'm going to play another. With, I'm going to. I don't know when I'm going to collaborate with another human being, with another uh, musician. Um, we're knocking these out, but um, after that, I, I, it's not looking. It's not looking uh, positive in terms of more collaborations. So um, I think it just made us very grateful mm-hmm. to see what we do. Are you looking forward to seeing your students again? Oh, I so am looking forward to them. I, I don't know if they realize how, I don't know, I don't know if I'm any different. Um, I don't know if my, prof, I don't wonder if my, our professors, if my professors miss me. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Oh, good. Gloria Chang's gone for the summer. 
but um, I don't know. I have, the, they're the hope for our future. Um, the skills that they picked up, the, the things, the hurdles that they had to navigate this past spring and going and ongoing. Um, they're going to have to be very strong. I mean, it was, t it's been tough for every generation of musicians. Um, my parents were so against my becoming a musician. Um, you know, you're going to end up on the street. You're going to end up on the street. You know, that was like, <laughs> and, you know, by hook or by crook, there are certain people who managed to kind of stay aloft and it's, it's hard. It has been hard. And I think it's going to be harder. Mm-hmm. So um, I invest all my hope and all my love in my students um, to hope that they can, to hope that they'll hopefully acquire some skills from, from my classes and from being where they are and, and take them forward and, and do something positive for the field and for the world. Are they um, having doubts that they're sharing with you about you know, committing to classical music as a profession or just given how things have changed? We did have a powwow after each of our classes this quarter just to kind of check in with each other. But because it was a group, um, there wasn't a great deal of personal sharing. Once one or two of them did say, oh, can, can, can we have a private talk afterwards? Um, and there were some issues you know just the difficulty yeah. of doing this in their parents house and or not in their parents house in the case of some some international students who are stuck here and can't go home mm -hmm. um can't go back to europe so it's really difficult my heart bleeds for them and i just i'll do everything i can to help get them to the next stage as long as i'm they're in my class and and beyond i try to find opportunities for them and I I've hooked up some previous uh, students of mine with piano spheres and jacaranda and Monday evening concerts so I do what I can to broker them into the yeah. working world when I can yeah that's so important to have your teacher advocate for you yes. did Steve advocate for you he did okay. I mean Steve Stuckey um, was the one who encouraged me to move to Los Angeles. I mean, he told me that it was the place to be <laughs> um, for especially for a composer my age. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in New York City, I was not prepared to move across the country. Um, you know, I studied with him at, at Cornell, and I was still in New York State. And my, you know, I saw my, my parents a lot. And, you know, I applied not really taking it seriously, only because he really wanted me to, uh, to go to USC. Um, and specifically to, to study with Stephen Hartke and Don Crockett. Um, and yeah, when I came out to visit, I mean, I was, I loved it. <laughs> it was just sold instantly. I'd uh, never been to California before. Uh -huh. And I came in February and <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll, I'm here. From, I'll stay from here. Cornell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but he was, um, he was, he was incredibly, I mean, as you know, so supportive of his students. And I was just an undergrad, you know, so he was there for his doctoral students. Um, and he took me on just as, and he took me just as seriously from the beginning um, as his doctoral students. 
and he would also stick up for me when his doc when his doctoral students would maybe make little comments that were you know dismissive mm -hmm. or faculty even <laughs> he would uh he would you know advocate for he would defend me and in his very you know charming you know jovial way he would sort of diffuse those situations um you know the late Christopher Rouse, who we lost recently, um, he, on Steve's death, he, he kind of nailed it when he wrote a, uh, an obituary for New Music Box. Mm -hmm. And the way he started out was just many of, so many of us wish we could be like Steve Stuckey. Yeah. Uh, he was just a paragon of a gentleman, um, just straight ahead, honest, unpretentious, uh, you know, the, the, a guy you could just trust with your life. Yeah. And how lucky you are to have had him as a, as a mentor and how lucky I, I am to have gotten to work with. Oh, should we talk about Garland's? Yes. Let's talk about Garland's. <laughs> okay. Garland's. Even sucky. <laughs> project that um, I put together with 32 composers, including you, Julia, mm -hmm. but 32 of Steve's closest friends of which there were hundreds and I could easily have done another 32 asked to, you know, another 32 composers to be part of this so each of 32 composers wrote a two-minute piece um, in Steve's memory mm -hmm. and I'll be playing a few of them um, on this pittance program to fill out the, the time that we didn't have for the canceled Ludoslavsky wind trio um, I would say that every single one of you wrote your guts out for this. It was um, quite soon after he passed. It was within a few months that I, I thought, let's do this. Because the LA Phil had, had uh, commissioned, or not commissioned, I think they just asked six composer friends and former students of Steve to write one to two minute pieces, which we performed, which Pianospheres performed at his memorial concert at Disney Hall. And I started hearing from people, uh, from composers saying, I love Steve. I hear this concert's going on. I hear the music's going through you. I would love to write a piece. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I, it's not my call. They've, they've yeah. decided who's, who's on the program and who's not. But, you know, I'll be in touch. Right. Because these, these people reaching out were, were so, we were all devastated. And I think we all needed a way to express our grief. And these pieces are just, they run the, 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 the range for, of utter, being utterly shattered to um, angry, really pissed off that this has happened mm -hmm. to, you know, and of course just sadness yeah. and, and, and resignation. So emotionally, they, these pieces represent every stage of grief that you can imagine, and there are many more than seven. And um, it was deeply gratifying for me to have these pieces under my fingers and to try to inhabit each of these relationships, mm -hmm. each of these people who loved Steve and what, what, however they, whether they be his, his, his former students or his colleagues, um, 
they all had special, special things to say in their through their music. And it was just it's the most satisfying project I've ever done. Mm. Oh, and and to to um, just remind people that all proceeds. The um, composers have donated their royalties to the Stephen Stuckey Composer Fellowship Fund at the L.A. Phil. Mm -hmm. And I've donated all of my CD sales to that. So it's been a fun, pro it's been a wonderful project for me. And I think all of us felt like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how did you, I mean, so, and you performed Esapekka Salonen's piece, correct? At the LA Philharmonic? Yeah, at the, at the hall. And it was so close to after he passed. And that piece was written, must have been written in that immediate month or all two. Of the pieces were written within uh, six weeks or so. There wasn't a lot of time. So can you share with me in any way what it was like to perform? As, I mean, who was, you know, one of Steve's who closest was friends. And who was and sitting he was there. there, yes. Well, um, how do I put this? I didn't have the score for terribly long. <laughs> yes, to, um, I understand that. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I remember asking the copyist for a special dispensation to, could you please push a button on your finale file where you have an accidental in front of every single note, because they'll save you a lot of time. Mm. Can you generate an audio file for me? Because hearing it will help me get these pitches in my head. Um, it'll just help me to learn it a little more quickly and it will be a MIDI rendition. It'll be awful but I can hear past that. I just need to help, I need the help to get these these pitches in my ear. So David Ocker, bless his heart. Um, I love him. Yeah, I did all of that for me. And I just, um, now you know the word woodshed. Yeah. I, I just I just dropped everything and, and made sure to get that learned. Um, I don't feel that, I, I don't really remember how it went. I think I, I did it. I think I, I played the right notes. I'm not sure. I lived with it long enough to really get at all of the, uh, I'd say in all of these pieces, actually, they all, they all, they're each one represents a universe mm -hmm. of, um, of emotions and of, of a specific friendship. Right. So they're packed with um, expression. So I feel like now, I've lived with it for much longer. I'm finding more and more layers in it. Um, but uh, I would say the, the the more difficult thing, that was difficult because I didn't know the piece as well as I would like to have. But the more difficult part, I think, was playing Steve's for Album Leaves, mm. um, which I'd played before, which I, for him, I recorded it uh, with him in the recording booth. Um, I mean, that was the piece, not written for me, written for Zach uh, Bjarkin, who was his colleague at Cornell. But um, uh, that's the piece that I, I just, I love. And, and the uh, slow movement, I'm forgetting the actual um, title of the slow movement, but it's a perfect piece of music. It's perfect. It's gorgeous. It's simple. It doesn't try to do anything than what it is. And I have trotted that out many times as, as an encore kind of mm -hmm. thing at the end of the garlands 
at, at the end of playing the whole Garland's recital. Um, it's just a shining example of everything that Steve was. It, it, it's just beautiful. So um, anyway, I think there, there are a few people in our lives that we can say we'll miss forever. Mm -hmm. And I think he's one of them in addition to my parents and a few others, but I will miss him forever. And I think many people feel the same way. Yeah, I think so too. Do you, um, do you think about him in an active way when you're playing those pieces or do you try to distance yourself from some of the raw um, emotion? I mean, how do you navigate that as a performer? I sometimes am in tears at the end of yeah. some of the yeah, I mean, I'm not sobbing or anything like that, but I am. I'm moved by the, the just the depth of the expression, the range and the depth of the expression in in response to losing Steve. Mm -hmm. It's been an immensely gratifying for me. Um, not every piece can really just is that much straight from the the heart and the soul and the gut, and every single one of these is. So I remember you saying, too, that he would have been horribly embarrassed if he knew <laughs> that that you had done this um, because he was I'm so sure. modest. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it is such a fitting tribute to him. I'm really glad that we all could do this together. Yeah. I And it was so hard. I mean, my, my piece is a minute and a half and it was one of the hardest things to write because I, I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to capture everything that Steve was to me and is to me. And of course that's not possible. So, you know, I ended up picking. Hmm? You did a good job of it. <laughs> well, I ended up picking just a small moment, you know, to capture a small moment in time uh, of our lessons together because that seemed more doable Mm -hmm. than to try I, to... I, yeah, you captured a little bit of his laughter. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and then you being a singer, I felt very much, I felt very much the, the vocal aspect of your piece. In fact, you were belting it out in certain passages there, right? <laughs> yeah. You really were belting it out. So, um, that was nice to connect with. Yeah. It's the first piece of yours that I've played, so hopefully there will be some more. Yes. I would love that. It's very inspiring to me to hear how Gloria is really embracing the recording process into her teaching with her students at UCLA and how she's sharing with them that there can be intimacy found in the art of recording and that we can learn new tools and new skills during this time when we're isolated at home. I also think you know, it was great to talk about Steve with her and beautiful to see how she really not just processed her own grief through the recording, but really created a collective space for all of Steve's friends, colleagues, and, and just people who also loved his music um, because he really had a profound influence on the music world. She created this space for us all to think about him and grieve his death and um, 
just pay tribute to him and honor his memory. So thank you, Gloria, for sharing all of this with us. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.